Hello. In our last episode, we spoke about changes in restaurants we might see as they emerge from COVID-driven shutdowns. In this episode, my guest Bruce McAdams and I talk about what restaurants might look like in the future. My name is Mike Von Massow, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. This episode is the second half of our conversation. We talk about some longer-term changes to the industry, what they might be, what they might look like. What does dining in look like? What is the future of delivery? How will pricing change? Bruce knows what he's talking about, and in this wide-ranging discussion will get you thinking. Check Bruce out on Twitter, at RovingProfessor, or on his blog, UGSRP.com, University of Guelph Sustainable Restaurant Project. Thanks for tuning in, and here is our conversation on restaurants in the future. So, Bruce, that was a, a, a great discussion about kind of the challenges we're facing now and, and what the industry would like to see and what the industry is doing as it as it sort of comes to grips and experiments as we reopen. Let's let's take a, a couple of minutes and, and gaze into a crystal ball and say some of these things you and I have talked about before that are things that may have been coming for the restaurant industry anyway, but now maybe the impetus for this change admitting that some of them might be difficult to do because uh, because of cost and profitability constraints. Let's talk about a couple of things of how, what what do restaurants look like in two years? Uh, what's the future look like? And, and I'm going to, I'm sure you've got lots of ideas. I'm going to seed the conversation with, with, with one and then we'll add on and, and you're welcome to bring up any that I don't. The first one, and we were seeing this already, and, and you talked about pickup and delivery when we when we spoke earlier being a bit of an issue that, that really hasn't worked well for restaurants that have stayed open. Will pickup and delivery remain an integral part of the restaurant business model going forward? So uh, it's a, a great starting point. I think we had started to see the real catching on of virtual and ghost kitchens and and um, you know these these uh, properties that actually don't have a restaurant selling takeout etc and, and and there being a real opportunity in the marketplace for them and they're having some success as as well as the you know the delivery companies like uber and skip and 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 they you know uber states they're still not going to make money in in Uber eats until 2024, but you know there, there there seems to be a changing pattern that you know delivery and takeout will continue to grow, and I, I and I think that through this pandemic, it is people have started incorporating it into their their dining patterns, and and I I do see that um, happening, and I do think that restaurants that have a style of food that travels well that maintains its quality you know, will continue to look and and try to grow their business in that regard, maybe even continuing in some of the meal kits and prepared foods that they're doing as additional revenue. So I I do think you'll see that for the majority of restaurants, they just want to get back and they will just get back to doing what they have done you know and, and I'm speaking specifically to full service um, in the past and and the re-engineering will be in in that model of how it has some weaknesses and and trying to fix those weaknesses in that you know full service in-house dining experience so I'm 
saying a little bit of everything here, but those those avenues and and those dining patterns, I think, are going to continue. They're going to they're going to s- stay strong. I, I think you'll you know hopefully once we're past the social distancing restrictions and restaurants can get back to what they do, I think society is is going to jump in with both feet and and there's a real opportunity for the industry to to show the important place that that dining experiences play in our culture and in the fabrics of our community. So, um, you know, now we can talk about some specifics besides that, if you want. Before we get there, I'm going to follow up on a couple of points you made. And and I, I tend to agree with you that the restaurant, we were seeing a growth in the share of the food dollar spent in restaurants and while that has fallen back clearly and may come back more slowly because of things like physical distancing and maybe pricing changes and things like that, uh, I, my expectation is that will continue to happen. And you referenced ghost kitchens a little bit. One of the things when I've talked to restaurateurs is that that sort of the pickup and delivery when we are a busy restaurant is a bit of a mixed blessing, that if we could get people to pick up or order for delivery outside of our peak times, it allows us to spread the overhead of the kitchen out a little bit more. But if if that order comes at the same time as the kitchen is getting slammed by a dinner rush, it's really a mixed blessing. It, it, it compromises our ability to deliver the experience in the restaurant. And in many cases, doesn't reflect our restaurant as well, as you said, with food that does, doesn't travel well. So might we see a, a split to say some restaurants are going to be, they are just, they're good at the dining experience. That's what they're, they're going to build the model to do that. And then we will see these ghost kitchens or these specialty delivery kitchens that are specific to that market and may actually produce a, a wider variety of foods under a number of different shingles to try and reach that critical mass of delivery. So you'll have a taco kitchen and a sushi kitchen and a whatever sort of clustered. And that delivery person will deliver all of those things rather than picking up from individual restaurants. I think that's what we're going to see. I I think the advantage is those kitchens are going to specialize. They're going to scale it up and have the the economies of scale, the they'll have the service down, they'll have the proper equipment, the proper takeout packaging. They'll 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 become experts in that as opposed to, you know, the restaurant, as you say, who's who's, you know, doing sixty covers in a night or a hundred meals or whatever, and, and then they get a two takeout orders for two, you know, during the rush and and you know, it's just sort of wing it, right? So so I think that specialization is 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 gonna happen. Now What's going to happen is this looking at operating hours and looking at multi-use. I already know of one restaurant that is renting out their facility to a baker. They open at night and now the baker is coming in in the morning and and the baker is, is using their restaurant for their products. And this is where I think innovation is going to happen with with operators where they're looking for other multi-use revenue streams. There's a big push right now in in some of the progressive thinkers that that are talking about productivity versus versus labor cost. And you mentioned earlier, you know, we have generally um, had two peak dining times in in Ontario or in Canada, and that's between twelve and one thirty. 
and that's between 6 and 7.30 for people dining. And we split our um, division of labor in restaurants between the front of house and the back of house. So we have two teams and we have these two peaks of very short times. And this is probably the most detrimental, fundamental issue in our full service business model is this issue of productivity. Because what, what will happen is the, the guests will come in at 12 to eat and the servers are busy from 12 to 12.30 getting drinks and, and you need 10 servers on and they're busy for half an hour. And then the servers are are, are set and, and they're not very productive for half an hour and, and it's the cook's time to be busy for half an hour. And then it's the server's time again. And then it's the cook's. And there's these gaps in productivity. And in a market where most of the people I'm speaking to, independent restaurants, they want to start paying a living wage to all their employees. And they've really come out of this with looking at their compensation models and and looking at, you know, big picture things in our industry. So, you know, these things of, of, you know, operating hours, you know, one of the things that, again, I'm, I'm going to dump on uh, franchise model a little, you know, franchises are open seven days a week, lunch and dinner, and they are because they exist, the franchisor makes royalties on sales, there's no relationship to profitability, it's, it's about sales. So franchises are forced to be open Monday to Friday, or sorry, Monday to Sunday for lunch and dinner, we, we know that to be the case, it's put pressure on independent restaurants, that they, you know, well, you know, if I go to Boston Pizza or if I go to Kelsey's or something, then they're always open. So a lot of independent restaurateurs until recently, and I think more so in the future, you've had some on your program, Darcy McDonnell, one of the uh, leaders in this, are, are saying, you know, we're not going to be a seven-day-a-week operation because the days we're making money, we're just paying for the days that we're losing money. So, you know, these are these are some of the real fundamental things that the progressives uh, that I'm, you know, uh, listening to and and reading are are really starting to to talk about. And then there's, you know, pricing and gratuities and other things we can touch on if you like. So that's exactly right. So I think that 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 maybe all of these were things that you and I and and others have been talking about for a long time and 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 maybe this shock to the system is the impetus to make some of these changes or to think about some of these changes once we we get through the sort of financial challenges we have now. You know, I, I would add, you know, someone like Darcy, the, the additional thing that he says is not only I don't lose money on days that I'm not open, it's allowed him to have a much more stable Team, yes, that's exactly a stable team who knows when they're going to work, which is another challenge that that we have, and that becomes important and, and a real value as well. Amanda Cohen, who is the Canadian chef who who owns Dirt Candy, uh, New York's most popular restaurant, has has finally had time to speak her philosophies and, and preach a bit the last couple of months as she shut down her restaurant, and her big thing, and and many other operators are saying that. There is no way they are going to open the same restaurant that they closed. They realize there's there's so many things that, um, again, uh, on reflection that that weren't working. Um, you know, so so I do I do think we're going to see some change. One thing you were talking about those peaks and valleys uh, in labor demand and and the efficiency. I was surprised, frankly, that you you didn't talk about the option of some that some restaurants that you and I have seen 
have have gone to rather than a front of house back house i think you refer to it as one house where you have multi-purpose staff do you see that coming or do you think that's something that 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 we might see more of i do and and this you and i experienced it at a, at a restaurant where where we sort of enjoyed a meal and and it was in an open kitchen and and open dining room we, we got to see everyone and we counted you know 11 staff members or whatever and and you know we then thought if this was divided into two they'd need 14 and and because they were they were trained on both sides and able to do all different positions there was a lot more productivity so i i think that is one of the big things that is going to come out of this and even in management and and um i've had some really big deep discussions with people about having two managers in the kitchen and having three managers in the front you know that's $250,000 $300,000 a year that's typically around restaurants for their management labor costs will run between 6 and and 10%. Um that is going to be an area that people scale back. So um and and I've had conversations you know with a chef that that you're very close to and I said do you think you could could be a chef and a general manager and do both jobs and they said absolutely just like if the general manager knew a little bit about cooking they could do my job and as well as theirs so i came my first restaurant roots after university were were working in um, red lobster kitchens and we would have we'd be serving six to eight thousand meals a week and we would only have three manager teams but everyone was trained in the kitchen and in the front so we only needed one person one manager there at a time for a meal period to manage Right now, if you have this division of of skill between a general manager, front of house manager, and chef, then you need two there on at one time. And and this is the sort of thing, um, as well as really diving into the productivity of of management personnel, um, and saying you know what sort of roles that managers do right now can be. Uh, filled and done by hourly employees when they're in their low productive periods. So again, our industry, uh, restaurants, has you know one of the worst things we've ever done is put our entire emphasis on labor percentage, which, as you would know, takes into many incredible different variations based on the wage rate, you know, based on um, all sorts of things, as opposed to productivity. So a productivity model in restaurants would be the amount of meals served to employee hours. So I think you're going to see um, people looking at productivity over labor cost as one of the big re-engineering aspects of of this new business model. That's going to that's gonna be a big one. You know, there's a reason why we have low margins, and it's because there's areas of opportunity up and down our profit and loss system, uh, profit and loss statements to to really reevaluate. Yeah, one of the challenges I think lots of restaurants have is, especially independent restaurants, but even franchises. Notwithstanding some of the other issues you talked about, fundamentally we're running a small business, and we often get so in the weeds running things on a day-to-day basis, we don't take a step back and say, let's take a look at the big picture and see what we might do differently. So I'm I'm so glad you you say that and and you may or may not be familiar with the research out there that that shows that that is one of the the real shortcomings of small businesses is their ability to 
to take and look at the big picture and, and strategize as opposed to getting caught up into, you know, the day in, day to day, you know, my dishwasher didn't show up, the oven's broken, I got to go get menus printed, I got to cover, you know, waitress or server sick, you know, all these things. And, and that has been the one of the real benefits that I've heard from a lot of these operators now is they finally had a couple of months where they're not running around doing things day to day, many of them, and they've actually had times to to really rethink and to strategize. So, you know, although I really, I, I'm more hopeful person than not, and I don't want to say, you know, I, I struggle saying, you know, good things coming out of a global pandemic. But one of the byproducts of this global global pandemic is is that operators have are having more time that as small business operators, as you stated, they, they haven't had in the past. So so um, if restaurants were ever going to change, it's it's in the next two years. That's exactly right. So I've got two more things on my list, and then I expect you might have one or two things. The first uh, gets to a little bit uh, of risk management, and it's something you and I have talked about in the past, and I've often said that it's something that, that I can see restaurants doing. Uh, and again, maybe this sort of reset becomes an opportunity to do it. But as reservations become more important, particularly in the short term, and as capacity is lower and the risk of a no-show becomes higher in terms of lost revenue, can you see, I think we might see it, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective, see the opportunity for tickets for dinner so that if you book a reservation, you pay 60% of the average bill or, you know, sort of the minimum uh, for the number of entrees for the number of people you have at the table so that if you no show, there is no risk to the restaurant of of that loss of revenue. We know lots of people historically, maybe not anymore, have booked three or four reservations for Friday on Monday and then decide at the last minute which place they're going to go. Do you see a change, an opportunity to change that reservation model? Absolutely. And and it was creeping in a little um, talk, T-O-C-K being the biggest example. They were uh, Alinea, the Chicago-based restaurant who started, you know, selling tickets you know, five or six years ago, they actually developed a company, a reservation company. Uh, so I, I've used this at several high demand restaurants where I make a reservation for two and I'm asked to make a $40 uh, deposit on my credit card that if I don't show up or if I don't cancel within 48 hours, I lose the $40. That has has been working in some high demand restaurants. I think you're going to see that become the norm. You and I have even talked about demand-based pricing, where there's different prices on a menu item depending on the day. So on a slower night, I might sell my burger for 18 bucks, but on Saturday night, I'm going to sell it for 20. I, I have been a big resistor of this in, in the past, saying, you know, we're the restaurant business. That's hotels and airlines, and they do that sort of things. But we're, we're about hospitality and about pleasing people. And and I think that's out the window. And I, I, I think rightfully so. And I think it has taken, in my thinking, uh, again, a global pandemic to start thinking about these these subtle and, and smaller revenue management issues. As, as you know, in, in restaurants, sorry, in hotels, revenue managers is maybe the most important person in the, in the hotel. 
um, or in the hotel company. Um, we don't have revenue managers for the most part in in restaurants. So um, the managing of revenue, um, pricing, reservations, and penalties for no-shows, those are all in play, Mike. And and I'm really of the thinking that they are going to become the norm when when we get back to normal, touch wood. And I think, you know, consumers, if it's done correctly and transparently, consumers will be accepting of it. They'll understand it and, and, and it'll be reasonable and people will adjust their behavior depending on, on what's important to them. Absolutely. The last question I have, uh, and I expect you might want to add one or two things at the end, uh, you're, you're not required to, is, is technology. You know, I think in QSR, we're seeing more, you know, the ordering kiosk. And when you and I were in Europe, we saw much more of it than we see so far here in North America. My expectation is that will come as we, uh, even in quick service, as we have fewer people in these facilities, uh, both in the short term for social distancing and in the long term for a variety of reasons. Do you think that we'll see an increase in technology in the in the full service restaurant as well, you and I have talked about iPad ordering and that sort of thing in the past. Do you think this provides an impetus, particularly if you're dealing with someone with a mask? Is is the jump to an iPad that different? This is a question I have I have really struggled with my entire career as being a commentator on the restaurant industry because I have to sort of check my personal feelings um, of you know this increased technology. But but I I do see it happening. I you know. Right now, many restaurants are not having physical menus and even iPads because of the the spread of uh, the virus, et cetera. And and ordering is done on your phone when you're going into these full service restaurants and payment being done on your phone. And, and, And so I think you're going to see an adaption of technology from people that wouldn't typically use it. And, and you're going to see it become probably more normal than not in the next six months. Now, for me, that builds on on the bigger part of this is being what happens to hospitality, what, what I like to refer to as conviviality, this emotional aspect of a, of a restaurant visit where um, you have people pleasing people, and that's part of the value creation. So and that may be the part that I add, but as far as the technology question, yes, it's it's going to be our phone, our smartphones are going to become an integral part of the restaurant, full service restaurant experience. And, you know, it is probably once it's it's adapted, it's probably, you know, if I'm a realist, I'm probably going to say it's it it will be here to stay in many um you know many things as as again people operators try to limit the amount of of labor what one of the problems i have again though is is operators saying we have to eliminate bodies where my approach is we need to make the bodies we have more productive and make sure that you know and and technology can help with that as well so i'm going to i'm going to leave that technology at that and i don't know if you want me if you have another question or if i can go on to speaking about hospitality I was trying to leave you an opening for the for the discussion of hospitality that I that I knew was coming. So uh, I, I think it's an important one, particularly in the context of what we talked about earlier in saying that that we expect there to be a divergence 
between the full service sit down restaurant and the delivery model. There'll still be some overlap. It'll be a Venn diagram, but that for that full service dine in type of restaurant, uh, we can think about cost and we can think about safety and all the things we need to do in a comment in the context of the pandemic and beyond, but experience uh, or hospitality or, or, or conviviality, as you said, is, is such an essential part of what we deliver in that, that, that differentiates that sit-down experience. What do you think is important to think about in that context? I think it's really important. I think I think as as a society we have to um, even and while I'm professing that the restaurant business look at technology and look at revenue management and increasing its business model, I think it would be the biggest mistake to move away from what our greatest contribution is and and that is is hospitality, is conviviality and creating memorable emotional experiences for communities, for for members of communities, being at the center and focal point and the fabric of a community um, and, and being a place that people look forward to going. You know, there's a difference between a hotel stay and a, and a restaurant meal. And there's a difference between an airline experience and, and a, a restaurant meal. And it, and it comes down to the atmosphere and the, and the service and the people. And my big fear is, is we go through a year-long period of, you know, PPE, which is no matter what you say or what you try, is going to diminish, you know, and I'm talking about face shields and masks. It's going to diminish the, it's going to diminish the relationship between guest and, and provider. But there's no way you can tell me otherwise. You know, how we're having to serve people and and not stand really close to them and put your hand on their chair as you as you're talking to them as a as a server or something and you're going to have to stand 2 meters away and my fear um I've, I've used that word a few times today is is that we um we lose our way in in regards to um conviviality and hospitality and that that important emotional part of it now with that, and, and it, it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about generations of students and you and I are both teachers and educators and, and, and them moving to online education and, and becoming used to it and, and comfortable with it and it becoming the norm for them. And, and, and for me, I sort of draw a parallel between, you know, being an educator and, and what we can offer online, which to me is a takeout meal versus as an educator in person, which is a restaurant experience, which which has a, a relationship that's a, a lot different. But at the end of the day, I still think in two years time, and once we're, you know, hopefully we're, we're past all the restrictions, I, I think there's enough people that are in this business to, to make others happy and understand the, the business case for hospitality and conviviality that that it'll come back, but you know, it is it is something that I I think of. Um, you, our friends who own a restaurant in Greece, you and I have a friend, and and I was skyping with her, and 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 her big thing out of that, we were talking this very thing. She said, "I'm going to have to learn how to smile with a mask on," right? And it, it was painful for her. You know, I, I only hope that we don't uh, we don't lose our way. Yeah, and I think that's a great place to to wrap up, Bruce. And and I would concur with you that that. In all of the change that we've talked about, much of it that will be positive, we shouldn't lose the fact that uh, that 
in the end, for one segment of this consumer, it is about that experience. And we shouldn't let cost or other things compromise our ability to deliver that experience. Because in that, I mean, to, to say again what you said, in that way, uh, we lose our way. So thanks so much for taking the time. I've, uh, as always, loved our conversation and learned some things and uh, look forward to chatting again. Mike, thank you and uh, enjoy the day. As we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to take a minute to uh, say thanks to Max Graham for making us sound great. Uh, we get to have the interesting conversations and Max does the hard work of, of cleaning it up. Quick thanks to Zach Von Massow for the original music that we use uh, to transition. I also wanted to take a minute to remind you of uh, the foodfocusguelph.ca website. You go check out our blog, which gets updated at least once weekly with issues uh, related to food, just like the podcast, and gives you a place that you can get a hold of us as well. If you want to make suggestions for episodes of the podcast, you have questions, uh, we're open to any of it. And one more reminder that uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, submitting a review wherever you get your podcast helps others find us as well. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it uh, and stay in touch.